The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Casey Newton is our guest today. He is the editor of Platformer and the co-host of Hard Fork, and he's been on an absolute roll this past year with a series of high-profile Twitter scoops, and he's added about 50,000 people to his newsletter. Every year, or at least in the past two years running, Casey and I get together, we take a look back at the year that was, and then make some predictions for the year ahead. I think it's a great exercise. It's a way to really take stock, put a stake in the ground and say, where are we moving and where have we moved from? Uh, and it's one of my favorite podcasts of the year because it's absolutely a blast to look back and forward with Casey. And what a year it's been. We have so much to talk about. And so much of the news over the past year has really come out of the blue. Everything from generative AI to the decline of crypto, things like FTX, we weren't talking about that last year. And of course, the real demise of Web3 has been pretty wild to watch. There's Elon and Twitter. How can we forget them? And when we do these exercises, we can also take some guesses as to where we're going. Are we going to see interesting new legislation come down the pike? Are we going to see new applications or new worries about some of the new artificial intelligence technology uh, that we have at our disposal? And what the heck is going to happen to Twitter? Which we'll, we'll definitely start with that. So it's going to be a fun show. Casey always brings his A game and I'm sure this is not going to be any different. Casey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. <laughs> it's great to do this again. We did it last year, and and here we are again. Um, it's been a really wild year. Um, it's interesting. I listened back to our episode from last year, and you know, I had I had just gotten COVID, and you know, that was still top of mind. And <laughs> we were talking a little bit about like Meta's business and Amazon's business, and then the year took some really crazy turns. So it'll be fun yeah. to recap some of them. I don't even care about those other companies anymore. Now all I think about is Twitter. <laughs> exactly. So one of your predictions last year was there was going to be a lot of drama uh, in Twitter. Drama Twitter was back. Yeah. What what, um, what happened? <laughs> let me let me quickly pull up yeah. the Wikipedia page to see if I can get this straight. Um, yeah, uh, Elon Musk bought the company and took a business that had been worth about $5 billion or who had generated $5 billion in revenue last year and rendered it worthless in about six weeks. So it was really quite dramatic. Yeah, so do you think Twitter is worthless today? Uh, no, but I do think that there is a real likelihood that he triggered a death spiral uh, over this most recent uh, weekend before we're recording here. Um I, I do not see how the company comes back from what this man has just put it through. Okay. And I promise we're going to do a lot of um, 2022 recap and look forward to 2023. But I feel like we need to start with the current event here, which is which is the Twitter thing. Um, talk a little bit about that death spiral. Uh, that you saw. I mean, he, he suspended, you know, one thing to suspend journalists, he suspended Paul Graham. Like if, yeah. you know, if once you start suspending like the people, the legendary venture capitalists, like you're, there's something going on there, but go ahead. Well, that's exactly right. You know, like on some level, it was no surprise that he suspended journalists. Like clearly, you know, the crowd that he runs in has been dying for a chance to suspend journalists for whatever made up reasons for a long time. But, you know, Paul Graham, 
uh, you know, just a few weeks ago was that was tweeting things like, um, wow, you know, seems like a lot of people out there th- think they know how to run a company better than Elon Musk. You know, I mean, like he was just sort of firmly in the camp of, uh, of folks who think that, you know, Elon is a, a genius. And um, uh, Paul then dared to tweet out a link to his Mastodon or, or rather a link to his personal page, which contained a right, link to his Mastodon. Even, he didn't even. Yeah. He was careful not to break Elon's rules. Yeah, he didn't break the rules. And um, well, look, look where we are now. You know, Paul's I saw Paul's over on Mastodon now. And, yeah. um, you know, even like, you know, I, I'm not even going to say his name, but there's this sort of like, you know, uh, <clears throat> intellectual dark web, like anti-vaxxer, you know, like even he's tweeting like, you know, Elon's like lost the plot here because, of course, they all thought that he was coming here in the name of free speech. And then he's like, oh, by the way, you can't post a link to your Instagram. I mean, it's like it's Elon has truly made fools of them all. Yeah, he's been more restrictive on speech than previous Twitter was. Now, of course, it's coming through a different fashion. Uh, and you could argue that the previous spe- previous Twitter did restrict speech in its own way. But the the impulsivity with which Elon is banning people is really unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it's just not it's not principled, you know, I, right. I mean, it, it, it just ca- it came from a place of sheer <clears throat> existential terror that because of the previous mistakes that he made running the platform over the past six weeks, people had just started to flee. And he's like, well, you know, we, we can't have that. So just a, a complete embarrassment after a set of cell phones. Yeah. And now, why do you think that so death spiral basically triggering something that is going to cause the death and you can't really come out of it? So what is that? What, what exactly do you think's happened? Well, I mean, look, you know, Twitter was an advertising business, right? They made 90% of their revenue from ads last year. Then he tanked that ad business by letting 60,000 of the worst people to ever tweet back onto the platform uh, by creating a, you know, brand impersonation crisis with the botched relaunch of uh, of Twitter Blue. And so I have a very hard time believing that Twitter is going to be having a great quarter for ads. In fact, we've actually heard, you know, that they're down by just staggering percentages over the previous year. And um, that's, you know, at a time when the ad revenue should be up because the World Cup is happening. And that's traditionally Twitter's best performing time, um, uh, like ever, is sort of when the World Cup is going on. So the ads business is tanking. Um, Then they are trying to relaunch this blue thing to, you know, get a verification badge. But the initial launch was so bad. It's relatively expensive, doesn't really come with any features. And then you sort of throw into the mix the fact that the, the policies are just changing every single day in radical ways. And that's just undermining trust in the platform, right? Why am I going to pay Elon uh, Musk 11 bucks if he's just going to tell me the next day, like, well, you know, you can't tweet a link to your Instagram. So Mm -hmm. he's just destroyed that foundation of trust. Um, And then by suspending the journalist, he triggered this sort of moment, uh, this long overdue reckoning where reporters are like, okay, well, like clearly Twitter is not going to be where I'm distributing my my news for the rest of my life. I got to go build a lifeboat somewhere else. And I think what he's going to find six months from now is that the journalists who he so disdains were one of the major forces that were propping Twitter up because it like they were the reason that it set the global news agenda because like all the reporters were in one chat room. Now those reporters are going to be other places, right? And when you don't have them, they're breaking news all the time or news is breaking in other places. You're just going to sap the platform of that vitality, which was its only path to making back that ad revenue or subscription revenue. So it's just, it is all starting to fall apart. And it's interesting that after so long uh, running the platform, being close to the platform, the thing that Jack Dorsey said a lot when he was the CEO was Twitter was a news app and it was the home for news. He built, he went all the way in on news. You're right. The people, if you lose the people that are breaking the news on the app, it's going to be a lot more difficult to fulfill 
that's that, that value proposition. And then you look at the others you want to get in. I mean, look at Andreessen Horowitz, right? Speaking of failures over the past year, their future app is is um, future news uh, site is dead. Um, their their attempt to displace media with Clubhouse is dead. The Andreessen Horowitz podcasts are not doing very well. I mean, it's it's all sort of this whole promise of disintermediate and and push down the journalists. You know, I, I get I. I sort of understand why they wanted to own the message, but it it it's not workable and it's not it's not working. Yeah, I mean Andreessen Horowitz are like media investors who hate the media. It's not working out great for them. I would maybe try to find a new right. thesis in 2023. Yeah, it is interesting. And I mean they're the only thing that they're doing well is uh well, their only media investment is that's doing well is Substack. So, and even that's struggling. And we'll get to that in some of your your predictions, yeah. We hope. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I would love to see the financials. Yeah. Right, exactly. Okay, so, uh, all right, a couple more things on Twitter. Uh, we're recording on a Monday. And by the way, usually I was going to hold this for the uh, the last Wednesday of the year because that's sort of like a good coda to the year. I'm not holding it. We're going to put this on on uh, this Wednesday and then we're going to have Andy Yen, the CEO of Proton Mail, who's going to um, come on next week. So, And he'll read your encrypted messages live on the air. Exactly. <laughs> right. And um, the reason why is because this is this is such a dynamic uh, uh, situation and what's happening today it might, not, might not even hold for Wednesday. But um, Elon obviously put this poll up that said that he was going to, you know, put it up to the users about whether or not he was going to remain CEO or not. Do you think he's going to abide by that? He says he will. I think the answer is yes. I think the question is like, what is the time frame? You know, he had already been telling investors that he was going to step down in like three to six months anyway. Um, I don't think he has somebody on standby. I'm sure Jason mm-hmm. Calacanis would love to do it. Um, would or really any member of the All In podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah. so maybe he'll just hand it over to one of his podcast buddies. Um, but short of that, he actually does have to find someone to run it. I think it's going to be someone we've never heard of from Tesla or SpaceX. Um, but you know, how, how soon does he do that? Um, I, I don't know. And, and I think the other question is just like, you know, part of me thinks that the question is like, how much more damage, like, will he do in the meantime? And part of me feels like the damage is done. You know, there, there's like right. really no more damage left to do. Like he destroyed the platform. Yeah. And so there's also been some, some uh, thought that, you know, either a, maybe he'll sell it. I mean, if he sold it, Tesla stock would jump, what, 25% in a, in a minute or, the other idea is maybe he just bank goes bankrupt and just hands it over to Morgan Stanley. Do you think either of those yeah. could work? I, I mean, sure. Yeah. Why not? I like at this point, it's, it seems like a better option than him having anything to do with it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I might've been, I mean, I was, I was trying to see his, his perspective for a long part of this year. Um, and, and I think some of the ideas that he had were actually good. Uh, execution obviously has been a disaster. And let's go through them. Let's go through some of Elon's great ideas, Alex. Remind me. <laughs> well, anyway, I think we should we should move, we should just move into the predictions. <laughs> I, I don't want to date. Well, like I I I think that um, the idea of of leaning more on subscription revenue is a good one. I wouldn't kill the ad business in the, in the pursuit of the subscription business. So I mean, that's really right. what what I thought was thought was good. Anyway. Uh, we can spend the whole podcast on this. Let's just do these quick predictions, then do a little bit more recap, then do more predictions after the break. What does Twitter look like a year from today? Uh, smoking crater, you know, like... Um, <laughs> Go on, you give see me a the, did, answer about did you, it, see, yeah. did you see the end of um, the most recent season of Stranger Things? 
uh, this is a, a spo- spoiler alert for the most recent uh, st- season of Stranger Things, but like, you know, all the characters sort of like walk out under the landscape and they look and like the sky's been torn open and demons are flying out of portals and like their town is in flames. Like, that's what I think Twitter is going to look like a year from now. Does Elon still own it? Yeah, I mean, I think th- th- there will be sort of like legal entanglements that will will mean he will probably be ha- have some sort of legal tether to it a year from now. The service that Twitter plays for the internet, right? Sort of this, you can tell what's happening, you know, what everybody on the internet thinks. Is that is that gone? Is that distributed to a bunch of different platforms? What does that look like? Does Twitter, I think I mean, like the yeah. life just bleeds out of it all year. I don't know how quickly the life is going to bleed out of it. Everything is moving much faster than I thought though. So like, you know, if you go on Tech Meme, which is, you know, industry source for news, they're already putting posts on Mastodon above the tweets, right? So it's like the industry is reacting to this in real time. Right. And I would not be surprised if we see a lot of like new stuff next year and all of it just kind of like leeches more of the life force away from Twitter. Yeah. Are you, I wonder if any of those can really be successful though, without like the critical mass of users. What's Mastodon been like for you? You've moved basically, you've basically entirely moved. It's like, um, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, God, I don't know if I want to use this analogy because I don't want to sound insensitive. I'm not going to use the analogy. You'll just have to wonder what my insensitive analogy was. It's a place (laughs) where we are all, it's like a way station that we have like stopped at that is clearly not our final home and that most Uh of us do not want to be in. But like there is shelter there, you know, there's like running water and electricity and like, you know, meal rations. And like we can just kind of survive there while we wait for someone to build a real platform. So that's how I think about it. Like a lifeboat. That's what. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I've heard other alternatives described as. Okay, that's Twitter. (laughs) And that's Twitter. That's Twitter. That was Twitter. That was 2008 Twitter. to 2022. 2022. RIP. And here it'd yeah. be nice if you could just play Angel by Sarah McLaughlin, just sort of like a nice, I don't know if you have the rights to that on this show, but we could probably get up. 10 seconds. Nate, if you got it. Yeah, maybe it. 10 seconds would be good. In the arms of the angel, fly so, uh, all right. Um, Oh, let me just run one theory by you. Then we're really going to move on from Twitter. Is Elliot management responsible for all this? I mean, they were the activist investor that came in and basically pushed Jack Dorsey out. And Jack pushed this this entire thing on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, like they, they're responsible in the sense that they're like sort of one of the first dominoes to tip, right? Right. You know, I think had they never come on board... Would Jack still be the CEO? I don't know. Jack Dorsey is a weird guy. You know, like I, I, yeah. I have no idea what Jack is doing in this alternate universe. Um, but Twitter would probably still be like a going concern if that had happened. So yeah, thanks, Elliot. And as, as I mean, obviously, like they were able to come in because Jack Dorsey was splitting time between the two companies, not doing a great job monetizing the thing. Yeah. Has anyone lost? I mean, and Jack called Elon the singular solution to Twitter. Has anyone lost more esteem? Over this year than Jack Dorsey. Yes. Maybe Elon. Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. But He's after the one Elon? Person. They're, they're neck and neck though. They, they they really gave each other a run for their money. It was a photo finish. The the thing about Jack is that he basically took the company and he said, let's give it to this person. Yeah. And he hurt his friend, obviously, when Elon, it's, Elon obviously would rather not be doing this. We know because he tried to get out of it. And all the people that had worked for him for years, obviously, uh, you know, they're out. They may not get severance now, which is pretty wild. Okay. Yeah, uh, he's a terrible uh, boss. If you, if you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and Elon Musk is your boss, I'm sorry for you. It seems terrible. Yeah. 
Okay, we're done. We're done with Twitter. So, um, you know, you another keep saying, thing, I have a feeling that Twitter's going to yeah, come up again before we might the bring show. it back. Yeah. Okay, but I feel like this is uh, this is about as good as as we could do on Twitter. Let's talk about some of the other companies. So you talked last year about in your in your year and recap posts about how 2021 was really a year of transition for big tech. You know, Jeff Bezos stepped down, Meta pivoted, Jack Dorsey, which we thought was the big move, you know, left Twitter. So I'm kind of, I want to look back and see how those transitions are going. So first of all, how do you think Andy Jassy is doing at Amazon? Um, no one's really talked about it. Yeah, and I don't know. It seems like it's basically fine. You know, I mean, it's like Amazon lost a lot of value this year, along with all of the other tech companies. Um, you know, I, I couldn't tell you if Amazon released some big innovation this year. I mean, I think Amazon's biggest release this year was the Lord of the Rings TV show. Uh, you know, aside from that, I don't know what they're up to over there. Oh, oh and, uh, you know, busting up unions. Those seem to be their two main passions in life. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. You tell me. Are they fine? They see it seems fine. We had Stephanie Link on the show last week um, and from Hightower Advisors, and she mentioned that one of the interesting things that's happened to Amazon's business is that the incumbents like the Targets and the Walmarts are getting better at, you know, doing the tech side of things. Huh. And that's posing a real interesting challenge to Amazon. So I think they're fine, but they did lose like 40% of, or close to 50, I think, of their of their market cap this year. And Jassy, Jassy comes from the AWS side, kind of tough to strain, restrain costs when you're from the part of the business that prints the cash, as opposed to the one that needs to be tighter to the vest, which is retail. So I think that's really showing. I, I don't know. It's It's been interesting watching him try to figure it out this year. It's obviously a tough time to come in. I'm going to say, I think it's been boring watching him trying to figure it out this year. I think, you know, as much as I hate the dramatic Elon Musk Twitter, I think Andy Jassy should do something crazy in 2023. I don't know if it's like a new haircut, maybe uh, start yeah. wearing flashy clothes, but like <laughs> do something to get our attention, Andy Jassy. I'm bored yeah. of you. Yeah. All right. If you were Andy Jassy, what would that exciting thing be? I mean, I would start with a new haircut, but new haircut. Um, no, I, okay. I actually, I don't even know what Andy Jassy's haircut looks like. It's a very uh, restrained haircut. Yeah. Yeah. Here's Go what ahead. I'll say. Uh, Amazon used to like work on a lot of like robots and drones and everything. And then, you know, their stock crash and you'd read stories about, well, they're shutting down all these programs. Bring back some robots, you know, let's have some really interesting house robots uh, and really just kind of kick off the robot revolution. That's what I'd love to see Amazon do next year. I think the more that they work on busting these unions, the more you're going to see those robots that can pick stuff out of uh, boxes. And instead of human workers, they're going to get to work. I mean, they're getting close. There you go. Could be an Amazon prediction. Watch out for that. How about Meta? I I thought Meta had like a fairly quiet year. I, I guess it might have just be where where Twitter is kind of exploding in public. Meta might be just having this like real uh, simmer and maybe inter- burn from the inside type of thing. What what do you think about their year? I think they are so happy over there about the Elon Musk stuff because the minute Elon walked into that company with a sink. Uh, the entire tech <laughs> press corps stopped writing about Facebook. <laughs> like, have there been any stories about Facebook in the last two months? I mean, yes, there have. But, the, you know, the, the focus has clearly shifted elsewhere. You know, this really has been a transitional year for them. Their heads are down. They're trying to figure out the metaverse. They put out the pro version of their headset. It doesn't seem like that really got that great of a reception. Um, so, you know, they're just kind of trying to figure it out. Uh but like, it's just kind of a slow grind over there. Obviously had the layoffs, you know, I think Mark is trying to project this idea of like, 
we're going back, you know, sort of like a nicer version of the Elon Musk. Like, you know, if you want to be here, like you got to be hardcore, you know, we really got to figure this stuff out. Um, but I don't know. Is it really showing up in the products? Like what's the last like product feature that like Facebook introduced that made you say like, Oh, that's like super cool. I want to show this to someone else. I have, do not remember anything like yeah. that. I mean, it's it seems like they're, they're working on basically autopilot. They're on the flagship stuff. The other thing is that you've been a believer every time we do these, you've been a believer in the metaverse type of idea in VR yeah. and in AR. Do you still, do you still believe that? And do you still think that meta has a good chance of, of, being the one that succeeds there? Well, here's my logic. You know how like when you walk out in the world and you just see people looking at their phones all the time, like, you know, if you see a couple having dinner at a restaurant and both of them are just looking at their phones. My logic has always been, uh, if if you're going to do this and hunch over and look at your phone, you might as well just glue, literally glue the phone to your face, right? Like what people clearly want is to just be jacked into a real-time feed of notifications and widgets and bleeps and bloops and, you know, who knows what else. I think that's what the metaverse is going to be. And so it's just a question of like, how quickly can you develop and miniaturize the technology needed to like put bleeps and bloops either like, you know, in front of my eyes on glasses or I don't know, you know, you'll put on a contact lens, whatever. Like, I think that that is the direction. I don't think that the tech industry is going to stop until it gets there. The question is just like, is that a five-year project? Is that a 10-year project? Is that a 20-year project? And what position will, you know, Meta be in to capitalize and I think like, I don't know, I, you know, I think there's reasons to think that they can do it and there's reasons to think that they can't do it. I do think it's the riskiest thing that Zuckerberg has ever tried. And I think that, you know, whenever any company takes that big a risk, you, you sort of default to assuming it won't work out, but, um, you know, people underestimate him a lot and he makes a lot of money. Yeah. And it's, it's one thing to say, okay, you know, we're going to invest 10 billion a year, which is what Meta is doing, uh, in Metaverse and, and, you know, have the pedal to the metal. I think they're going to invest 20% of, of all the money they make next year into metaverse stuff, which is up from 18 this year. But the question is, do you have the right culture to do it? When you're reinventing, can you do it with a startup's you know pace and vigor? Or do you do it as a big company? And if you do it as a big company, you might get into trouble. There was a memo from John Carmack, who was uh, working on, he was high up uh, in meta, uh, working on metaverse stuff. And he wrote this memo when he was leaving internally. Uh, that really crushed their culture. He says, we have a ridiculous amount of people and resources, but we constantly self-sabotage and squander effort. There's no way to sugarcoat this. I think our organization is operating at half the effectiveness that would make me happy. Some may scoff and contend we are doing just fine, but others will will laugh and say half, ha, I'm at a quarter efficiency. What do you make of that uh, You know, argument coming from inside the company and how concerning of a sign is that? Um. I will say that over the past couple of years, I've heard more complaints about the way that not just how meta is organized, but how it is sort of continuously being reorganized. And so there's not really a lot of institutional memory there. And you just sort of have a lot of product managers who are trying to like hit some kind of quarterly KPI so they could get a bonus and then, you know, maybe do that for two quarters and then they'll get reorged into something else. So, you know, that seems like a problem. Um, but, you know, do I know what the ideal organization structure for Meta should be? Like, no, I have no idea. So, you know, I, th- I think Carmack was really respected internally. I think they, and this is just a kind of pure speculation, but I think they just kind of liked having him around as an old crank because, you know, what he was really saying, if you read between the lines, is like, work harder, do better. And like, I think Zuckerberg liked having somebody like that around. Um, and they kept him around for like a pretty long time. You know, he's, um, you know, a legendary programmer and uh, somebody a lot, of, a lot of people respect. And, 
you know, he put in his uh, time and now he's done. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's like red alert, you know, uh, meta is in a crisis, but um, maybe they should pick an organization structure and stick with it for a while. How how big do you think the competition from Apple is going to be with when Apple introduces its headset and comes into competition with Meta? I think it'll be really big. I mean, I think Apple's just good at this stuff and people like Apple. I mean, like th- that's the big difference. Like people like Apple, people don't like Facebook. So that's just going to give Apple a huge head start. You know, is that first product going to be amazing? Eh, like the state of the art is just not that good. It's like not as right. good as people want it to be. But I look back at the first Apple Watch. I didn't buy the Apple Watch. I didn't buy an Apple Watch until it had an always on display because I was like, I don't want a watch that's worse at being a watch than a watch is. <laughs> um, so like maybe it's just going to take five generations, you know, before you actually want to put one of these things on your head. But, you know, Apple's the richest company in the world. And they can afford to play the long game. That's right. Okay. Uh, obviously, crypto is this um, interesting. It took an interesting turn, shall we say, in 2022. Say yeah. Um, it took a turn off a cliff. Yes, it did. And there was more optimism in your prediction for 22 than turned out to be the case. You said that there was going to be this battle between, um, you know, the crypt, the anti-crypto folks and the crypto religionists. And um, it, And I think in your updated post, you said it went so bad for the people who were pro-crypto that like there was no debate because they were all discredited. Uh, yeah. why, why do you think it turned so bad for crypto this year? Worse than expected. I mean... My thing with crypto has always been, even though there are many good arguments that have been made to me about why it cannot or should not work, uh, at the end of the day, you had so much money and talent going into it that I felt like well, something's going to come out of this. You know, it's like you don't put that many smart people and that much money into something and get nothing. Um, at the same time, I wrote in January about the fact that, like, look, if, y- if y'all crypto people really want to make a go of this, you have to radically improve the user experience. You have to make it much safer and more reliable to use. Um, and you need to really kind of focus on that user experience, right? Make something that's really fun. And I feel like 12 months later, they have just not done that at all, right? We've seen this constant parade of breaches and, uh, you know, frauds and bankruptcies and scams. Um, there are no fun products to use in crypto, right? And you had like the entire collapse of the ecosystem, you know, first the NFT market uh, collapsed and then you had, you know, the Voyager and the Three Arrows and the FTX. And, you know, now it's like, you know, a fun game you could ask yourself or a fun question you could ask yourself is like, will Binance exist in 12 months? I mean, it's like, you know, I, I'm not sure I would be a strong uh, yes, you know, for my prediction. So the whole thing is a nightmare. And, you know, it's just so interesting to me. It's like, um, and, and, and here we are uh, back at Twitter, um, like mm-hmm. all the same people that are like, uh, you just wait and see, like give Elon Musk a chance. You know, he's actually a genius and he's going to turn this company around. So many of them are the same people rooting for crypto being like, you know, crypto is the future and decentralization is going to change everything. So I'm just like, I'm just observing that like there, there's a crowd in which these kinds of predictions uh, circulate and they have uh, all been wrong. Right. And not only that, some of the people who talked about the need for decentralization and how Web3 is going to be the future of all apps then went into Twitter and started working with Elon. And it's like, that's the like prototypical Web2 company that you hate. And you're going and you're working for the world's richest man. Do you really ever, did you really actually believe in, in Web3 or did you just want to offload some tokens and companies that you invested in? Yeah, they believed in getting rich quick. That that was yeah. that was the core belief there. Right, because, yeah, you talk about the use case and it seems like the use case for Web3, you know, the um, primary use case was speculation. And outside of that, there was never a product people wanted to use. There really was not. Uh, TikTok. Um, 
you you like kind of when we spoke last year, you kind of wondered whether TikTok was still going to be as prominent as it is this year. Social media companies tend to have you know, really short half lives. Um, yeah, TikTok is in a pretty good spot this year. I'm kind of cur- I'm curious what you think the state of TikTok is and whether it will continue growing the way that it is. I think they're in a good spot. I don't think it's going to grow the way it grew in the past. I mean, I think the big story of this year with TikTok was just like Facebook and YouTube started to catch up, right? Um, You know, reels and shorts are just doing well. And so I think they're just making it harder for TikTok to grow. You know, TikTok still has not managed to get a deal with uh, CFIUS, the Council on Foreign Investment in the United States. Um, and just in the past couple of weeks, you've seen a bunch of Republican governors uh, ban it on state devices. The Senate uh, passed a, a bill, I believe, that would uh, ban it from government devices. So, you know, the, all those threats are kind of around. I think <clears throat> the thing that we've learned is, um, you know, people are just never going to give uh, ByteDance, a Chinese company, the benefit of, of the doubt. And um, I think ByteDance has like known that for a long time. They don't know what to do about it because um, it's not clear there's anything they can do. But in the meantime, they operate one of the biggest apps in the world. So um, I think culturally, TikTok is still very prominent. Like I think it's still kind of the the champion of the like the social entertainment products. Um, but as you point out, these things have a, sh- a short half life. So you know, I think we may look back like as 2024 begins, we may feel like uh, TikTok peaked at some point. Like you know, either this year or next year. Interesting. So, I mean, I'm trying, I'm on TikTok. I'm trying to build like uh, an audience there for the podcast content. Good investment, bad investment. Well, it seems you like know, it could go away at any point. So I'm curious what you think. Yeah. Well, Alex, I don't know if you know this, but I'm also the yeah. co-host of a podcast. It's called Hard Fork and it's fantastic. And uh, everyone who listens to this podcast, I hope goes out and uh, downloads Hard Fork immediately. And one of the things that we've been doing to promote Hard Fork is to start a TikTok channel, which you can find at tiktok.com slash hard fork. And um, yeah, it does like shockingly well. You know, it's like, I don't know. I like, they they clip like 30 seconds of me running my mouth and it's like, you know, it gets like 50,000 likes or something. Um, <laughs> so that seems like a great way to grow a podcast. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Kevin Roos, my co-host, like this was his idea to do this. And he's like, this is the only way that podcasts are growing <laughs> in like 2022 is through TikTok. Okay. So keep going. Keep, again, for anyone who's thinking about it, Give it a shot, even if there's a chance it give will disappear. Give TikTok a shot. You know, give okay. it a chance. <laughs> Casey Newton is the editor of Platformer. You can find it on platformer.news and the co-host of Hard Fork. You can get it on TikTok uh, and wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you go check it out. We will be back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Kwame Christian, and I am the CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I want you to check out my podcast, Negotiate Real Change. Listen to conversations with leaders in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, and learn the secrets behind what it really takes to become a successful advocate, ally, and change maker in your organization. Check out Negotiate Real Change on your favorite podcast player. And we're back here on the second half of Big Technology Podcast with Casey Newton. 
Uh, he is the editor of Platformer. He's also the co-host of Hard Fork. We've also had a couple of nice uh, sparring sessions on CNBC this year. It's been fun doing those with you, Casey. We had a huge fight. We didn't speak to each other for months. Uh, outside parties had to intervene. That's correct. Mm-hmm. This is a bit of a, a healing session for it's us. So I'm glad, I'm glad to be back on the line with you. More turmoil at Twitter unfolding within the last 24 hours. Another round of employee resignations last night amid rising concerns about the future of the social media company. Let's bring in Alex Kantrowitz of Big Technology and Casey Newton of Platformer. Both are CNBC contributors and both are with me here at Post 9. It's good to see you both in the house for a change. At the end of the year, I want to heal. That's how I, that's how I feel. That's what we're doing. We're going to go yeah. in 23 with, um, with good vibes only. I love it. So I want to get to some of your um, your predictions that you put out in Platformer. about. I prefer um, to call them prophecies, but go on. Prophecies. Well, you, you were right about drama Twitter. So, yeah. um, okay, we were about to, I was about to read a Twitter one. I, we're going to get to it. But um, let's talk a little bit about, about ChatGPT. So I want to get to your perspective on how ChatGPT is going to cause uh, an education um, an education controversy this year. But I, I first want to ask, when we look forward to 23 is, is what is Google going to do on chat on this chat GPT thing? Because they can't, they can't, I know some people say it's ridiculous that you're comparing this to search, but they can't sit still. Can they? They've been talking about how the future is conversational search forever. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I spent the last like three or four Google IOs listening them, you know, drone on endlessly about their large language models and how amazing they are. Um, but the big thing that happened this year was like somebody else put out a large language model that we could just use. Right. And like, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I am told that Google's is as good or maybe even better. I think the question is, can they release it? And if so, how? They have a lot of regulatory concerns that make it harder for them to release it. They have a lot of business concerns that make it harder for them to release it. And I think an interesting question to carry into 2023 is like, are they ripe for classic Clayton Christensen <laughs> style disruption where something like ChatGPT comes along that is like worse at search than a lot of things, but that is better at search for a lot of things. And it kind of creates this new opportunity um, and sort of how does how does Google respond? But I don't know. I, I hear that they're taking it extremely seriously in there. I'm sure they're going to have a response, um, but it's, it's tricky for them. So it's, a, it's I'm very curious right. about this. What do you think the response looks like? Well, I mean, they, they just have, I mean, like they could put out what OpenAI has put out. Like they have all of it. And like the question is just like, but how do you introduce it, right? Because if, you know, imagine if like they released, uh, you know, Lambda, the way that they released, you know, Gmail in the early 2000s, where it's like, you know, we'll give, you know, you have infinite free credits and like go do whatever. Like it would be massively expensive for them. You know, there would probably be, you know, some sort of trust and safety issues, you know, people using it to start abuse campaigns or, you know, misinformation campaigns or whatever. Like they have to think through all that stuff. And then they have to figure out like, how is that going to mess with their business? You know, it's like their business is based on people clicking on things. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that makes chat GPT interesting is that a lot of times you don't have to click on anything. It just gives you what you want. So that's just like a really interesting maze of uh, of problems for them to work through. And if you're at Google and you're working on that, please uh, message me because I'd love to hear how you're doing that. What do you think the business model is going to be for something like a chat GPT? Well, I mean, look, you know, one of the examples that I've written about is I asked chat GPT, like, what are some shoes that belong in every man's wardrobe? You know, and whereas Google <laughs> just gives you like a list of blog posts, you know, it's like, here, go do your own damn research. Um, chat GPT is like, here are the shoes that you should have, you know, in your wardrobe. And of course, that was just, you know, ingested from some blog post that is not being credited. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a, an issue. Um, but 
it's not hard to figure out how you monetize that, right? You just be like, you know, you should have a pair of like Oxfords in your collection. Click here for, you know, Zappos.com. So I still think you're going to find a lot of those kind of like e-commerce, you know, like ChatGPT can be a funnel of intent the same way that, that Google is. Um, but they got to build it. Okay. And so how do you think they end up causing this education controversy? Well, so what's happening right now is that kids are finding out about this stuff. You know, like like ChatGPT news about it is spreading like wildfire. We talked about it on our show, Hard Fork, and uh, we've getting we get emails now and DMs from like high school. <laughs> I got a message right. from this high schooler yesterday that said, "Thank you so much for telling me about ChatGPT. I just used it to write a paper." And I was like, "Well, um, I feel bad about that, and you know, definitely, you know, don't use it to be academically dishonest, but." Obviously, millions of kids are going to use it to be academically dishonest. And man, you know, a lot of teachers, I don't think, see this coming. Um, pretty soon, they're going to figure out that like AI is writing like every assignment for kids from like sixth to 12th grade. They're not always going to be able to figure out like what is written by the AI and what's not. And so, like, I think there's like a chance that the open AI people are up in front of Congress like in the next six months. Right. And, and it's difficult for teachers to figure out that the AI wrote it. I mean, it's not it's difficult like for anyone can, to figure it out. Exactly. It's not like it's like plagiarism in the traditional sense, because, you know, it's not copied directly from it someone, wasn't. even though it is it is taking. It was divined from the sentient life that is AI. How do you think educators should tackle this? I think educators should freak out. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like. You know, you right. can, uh, these are not my ideas, but, you know, like Kevin and my co-host has talked about probably do more uh, like in-class writing, like oral exams, like stuff where you can essentially observe the person doing the work and not like rely on them. I think there's also a world though, where it's like you give people assignments to do with chat GPT, right? Like sort of teach kids to use it um, as like a research assistant in the same way that, you know, 20 years ago, they were probably teaching kids how to use Google as a research assistant. So there, right. there's probably some sort of, you know, equilibrium that can be reached, but it's going to be messy. Do you, do you think there are any other like pretty powerful use cases that we should be paying attention to with this stuff or is education like the main one? I think sort of creating like a sentient AI that destroys all human life would be <laughs> a huge issue. And I, and no, if you're, if you're trying to do that, knock it right. off, you know, right, knock right. It off. Yeah. Well, it depends if you're on the AI or you're the human. That's, that's the question. Yeah, and if the AI is listening, the AI is I just want to cool. say I was always on the side of yeah. the AI. Yeah, and why same, do you think I do what I same. do? I'm trying to bring this into <laughs> existence. Okay. I'm a pioneer. Okay. All right. But all right. So, so throw out some others uh, outside of education. Others outside of education literally any knowledge work job, right? It's like all jobs require research. You know, I, you know, I've, I've, I've experimented with saying, for example, um, like I was writing about India and Twitter and I was like, Oh, like remind me, why did India, why did Twitter sue India? And like, it just gave me the answer. And you know, it's just like two (laughs) seconds. And of course I had to go make sure that it was right. But like, yeah, it's helping with that. Um, you know, it's very good for creative work, writing poems, song lyrics, you know, just little funny like plays, you know, I, but I th- I really think there's like almost no job that isn't going to be touched by this in some way. Cause like, they're just like obvious uses for it. So I've been asking folks if they believe that this is something that's going to be a flash in the pan, like, Oh, cool use cases. And then sort of fades away or whether it is this real paradigm shift. Because if you look at Dolly, for instance, like, I mean, you and I use Dolly to illustrate our newsletters, but it, you know, it, it's not like it's upended the world of graphic design. So I'm curious if you think ChatGPT or ChatGPT-like applications are going to end up being more powerful than what we saw with Dolly. 
Yeah, they're completely different. Like, like because most people don't need to generate an image every day, but most okay. people do. Most knowledge workers are doing some kind of writing every day, right? And like the 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 sort of um like la- landscape of uses for Dolly is as broad as like what do people use text for, you know? And, and there's just like a million things. Whereas you know, Dolly is kind of much more contained use case. And Dolly's amazing. Like, I think Dolly is right. like, you know, if, if it hadn't been for chat GPT, like we'd probably spend more time talking about Dolly this year because Dolly is really amazing, but um, people just don't have as much of a need for it. Oh, okay. So you meant the, the, the type of the, the number of use cases for chat GPT are unconstrained yeah, are, are constrained only by text. Yeah, that's yes. true. I think it's pretty, it's pretty wild. And you know, this, it all came kind of out of nowhere, which was wild. Like if you would have, if our predictions would have been in the beginning of the year, you're going to be talking to a chat bot that will respond like a brilliant, like, well, somewhat brilliant human and have a, you know, AI artists on demand. That's going to crush illustrations. It would have seemed fanciful, but here we are. It moves cool. And then it feels just like normal technology. It's like, oh, I'll just make a dolly. Like, you know, yeah. like, what? It's crazy. <laughs> okay. Another prediction of yours, Casey, is that content moderation is going to become legal in some parts of the country. Say more a little bit about that. Yeah. And I was, this is like one of my lower confidence predictions, but um, next year the Supreme court is expected to hear a couple of cases about these uh, laws that were passed in Florida and Texas, which make it illegal for companies to remove content based on the political viewpoint it expresses. Uh, There are a lot of questions about what that's going to mean in practice, but an outcome if the Supreme court decides that it wants to uphold those laws is that in Florida and Texas, like Facebook, YouTube, Instagram will not be able to remove Nazi content. Um, or at the very least they could be sued for doing so. And, uh, that's a really wild one, right? Um, you know, I would argue that companies have a first amendment right to essentially set the like rules of discussion in these forums that they build. But the Supreme court, it has become increasingly sympathetic to the idea that we should regulate these like common carriers, like railroads or uh, telecoms, and uh, and they should not discriminate based on the viewpoint. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of downstream implications of that. But um, you know, Clarence Thomas basically called on either you know someone to sue and bring him a case, or someone to pass a law and bring him a case. And like now he has his cases, and the you know he he may have uh you know this the five or six votes he needs. It's pretty wild. It means that Elon Musk, for instance, to bring it back to Twitter, but he he could, you know, be going against the law uh, to remove lawful speech. <laughs> I mean, which is why he bought Twitter. It says he bought Twitter in the beginning. I mean, if you're talking about the link stuff, I think, yeah. you know, I'm that's about the probably Kanye, not a political Kanye, deal. Uh, Nazi, uh, but yes, the Kanye stuff. Yeah, that would be illegal. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about Substack. So um, obviously the email provider for both of us, uh, they are dedicated to subscription revenue, but you suggest they're going to launch an ad network. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, you know, Substack got really good this year at uh, free recommendations, you know, so it's like, you know, I recommend your newsletter, you recommend my newsletter. It brings us all a bunch of new subscribers. That's great. Uh, so, you know, as a result, you know, I've added tens of thousands of new free subscribers to my network over the past year. That's been phenomenal. Um, the problem is those people don't really monetize very well uh, because they have no idea who you are. They, like a box was already checked for them. They didn't uncheck it. And now they're getting your newsletter, right? That's like not a high value customer. But I have found that those people will still open the emails, right? A good percentage of them do. And so the question is, you know, if you're like me and you have paid newsletters, but you're not monetizing you know, 90 plus percent of your users at some point, 
you you want to just monetize them, right? And so I think um I think a lot more uh Substackers as as their mailing lists grow are going to experiment with ads. And I think Substack, which you know, needs to live up to this very high valuation that it has and is is going to struggle to do that with subscriptions only, is eventually going to come around to what I think is now obvious and like they're just going to build an ad network. Does that mean you're going to try to sell ads on your newsletter this upcoming year? I'm I'm, t- I'm talking to people about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I am. It's kind of interesting because I started uh, with ads only, and my newsletter has been free. But this upcoming year, I'm gonna you know keep pushing the pedal forward with ads, but then add a subscription layer. So, <laughs> I think we'll both end up filling out the area that <laughs> yeah. the other one was participating in. But I think it's good. I think that the combination of ads and subscription makes a ton of sense. It's what I believe from the beginning, and I think it's cool to see that there's going to be more demand and more interest in the, in uh, the supply side for making ads work on, on newsletters. Yeah, for sure. It could be fun. So one of the interesting things that's happened with Apple is this big uh, fight with, with Epic and others about um, their, their ability to build other app stores on the iPhone. Uh, Europe just made this, this big ruling that's going to, or not, it was, it was actually pressure from Europe that's going to cause Apple uh, to now open up the ability for others to create app stores on the iPhone uh, in Europe. Um, do do you think that it's actually a significant move, and, and do you think that spreads beyond Europe? Uh, I mean, we'll see. You know, like when Apple has lost these sorts of things before, they have gone out of their way to change as little as possible. You know, so it's like in the Netherlands, they allow dating apps to use external payment processors, but they charge a twenty seven percent commission, right? Which is like three percent less than they were charging just for using in app payments. Um, so I wonder, you know, what the equivalent of that is here. You know, I think just because third-party app stores are allowed in Europe on the iPhone, uh, they will not be allowed in the United States. Like, I think Apple is going to sort of be dragged kicking and screaming into all of that. But I also think it's clear where the wind is going. And I think over time, they are going to have to open up more and regulators are going to force them to sort of uh, play ball and, you know, um, be less anti-competitive. And uh, I look forward to that. Yeah, and just following up on a couple of things from last year, we uh, we predicted that Peloton was going to be acquired. They're down seventy one percent from when we last spoke. So now they're a Still bargain. independent. Yeah, they're yeah, they're a bargain. a bargain. So do you think that this is the year it happens? I don't. Who cares about Peloton anymore? Peloton, like, what a <laughs> pandemic company. I couldn't care less it what was. happens to Peloton. Like, go outside. Yeah. That's that's my answer. No, Peloton's right. over. Who cares? And lastly, Sam Bankman Fried. Sam Bankman Fried. Um, with him. Wow, what a legend and um, <laughs> an inspiration. And um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. From yeah, from listen, zero to zero in record time. Yeah, right. And I mean, like Casey, you're, you're obviously missing. Like you might not think that crypto is going to take off, but um, you know, you'll be looking back on this comment a long time from now and be like, yeah, I really shouldn't have doubted Sam. Um, yeah. on his way to jail and, and, and away he goes, hey, you know, hashtag free Sam hashtag. Right. We don't have all the facts, you know, let's, let's That's see true. what his legal t- defense team has to tell us. Do you, I do. I mean, by the long, way, in case you, people can't tell, yeah. I'm being sarcastic. Right. He's a yeah, bad yeah, both person. Of us. Yeah. Do you think, he, do you think he's going to end up, I mean, they threw the book at him in terms of the stuff they're charging him with. Do you think he has a long prison sentence ahead of him? I mean, I don't know anything about the legal system, Alex. I, you know, uh, here's what I'll say. If, if Elizabeth Holmes is spending 12 years in jail, I think Sam Bankman-Fried will also be spending some time in jail, you know, but sometimes rich people get acquitted of things. So we'll have to see. That's true. Any wishes for the new year? 
You know, I mean, I've I've long wished for sort of peace on earth um, and just yeah. sort of let's lay down the guns <laughs> and let's come together as one human family in a spirit of kindness and goodwill. And I really just, you know, take advantage of our of our only shot. You know, you only live once. And um, why spend all of it with a gun in your hand? <laughs> That's true. OK, last year's wish was was everyone gets vaccinated. This one stop shooting. It's a, yeah, it's a true inspirational case Newton message of the year. I am. I, I, next year, I want to do some motivational speaking. So thanks for letting me practice yeah. that. Some of, my of course, I think you're going to land a contract in, in no time. So, hey, congrats on the great year. 50,000 new subscribers for platform or a new podcast, um, a new coworker for you, which is cool with Zoe and uh, and and a really great run breaking lots of news on Twitter. So looking forward to seeing more of it in 2023. Thank you very much, Alex. And likewise, congratulations on all your success. I know big things are coming for big technology in 2023. Sounds good. And that'll do it for us here on Big Technology Podcast. Thank you, Casey Newton, for joining. Always great to talk to you, Casey. Always fun. Thanks to all of you, the listeners. Appreciate you coming back week in, week out. Uh, If you haven't yet and want to, uh, and you like the show, um, if you could rate us five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that would be great. Coming up on 100 ratings, on Spotify, we're hanging out at a 4.9 rating. Everyone goes a big way because it helps these platforms amplify the show. And we love that. Thank you, Nick Watney, for handling the audio. Thank you, LinkedIn, for having me as part of your podcast network. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. Again, uh, Andy Yen, the CEO of Proton Mail, is going to be on the show next week. We're going to talk about whether we should encrypt our devices. You won't want to miss it. So if this is your first time here, please subscribe. And that will do it for us here. So until next time, it's Alex Kantrowitz, and we hope to see you soon on Big Technology Podcast. Big Technology Podcast.